Well, here we go for another episode of Taking the Reins, and this one is a fun one. Now, let me warn you, it's not necessarily about horses, but it is about livestock and the ag industry. I had a chance, an opportunity to talk to Kai Twizzleman, Burchett, and Courtney Dehoff about their endeavors with a project called Backroad Cowgirls. Now, you can check that out on backroadcowgirls.com. I'll leave all the links and descriptions and everything in the description so that you can easily find it on uh, the internet. But Kai is a sixth generation California cattle rancher turned life coach, speaker, and podcast host, has her own podcast and another, a couple other endeavors. Courtney is a cowgirl turned network television personality, keynote speaker, videographer, content creator, and podcast host herself. They have an incredible story. Uh, they've been doing this a lot longer than me, but they were just so willing and eager to sit down and just discuss this project that they're doing called Back Row Cowgirl. So I think that uh, there's a lot of insight for all areas of the livestock industry and ag industry. So here is another episode of Taking the Reds. From Mississippi State University in Starkville, Mississippi, this is Taking the Reins Podcast. If you love all things horses, get ready for a relatable and educational look into the lives of horses and the people who love them. Now here's our host, Clay Cavender. I think that uh, this was a really neat idea. Kai and I were talking about kind of what to do with this, and she brought up the back row cowgirl idea, and um, man, I have watched all of them. And oh great yeah it's a really neat thing i got i've got a ton of questions for you but i don't know courtney if kai told you kind of how we got together i i was actually flying to san luis obispo last month or six weeks ago something like that and ran across her name and through a friend of a friend got in touch with her and thought this would be a neat idea and she threw you in the mix and so i think it's a really neat story for sure awesome i love it well we're, we're both excited courtney I don't know if Kai told you or not, but we have quite a bit in common. I think you did your yeah, undergraduate at Oklahoma State. Yes, I did. Did you go to OSU? I did. My wife and I both are from southeast Oklahoma. Uh, know I a ton it. of people from that area, but I'm I'm probably a little older than you. That was the late 90s. We haven't been back since 99, so it's been okay. a while. It's changed quite yeah. a bit, I'm sure. It has. Oh, my gosh. It never gets old, though. I love OSU. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I had... Uh, did you ever know anybody like the uh, what do they call the guy that rides the horses, a spirit rider, or whatever? I had a couple friends that did that. Ty Cunningham and yeah. Oh my gosh, I lived so when Ty and Jessica moved out when he started to work for Oak Ridge, I moved into their house. I lived on the same oh, place yeah. that Ty lived. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, Ty and I we were on yeah. the same judging team back at NEO in Miami, Oklahoma, and then went to Oklahoma State, judged horses there, and and been lifelong cool. friends, but. Anyway, cool, cool, cool. when I flew out to California, I tell you another thing that's interesting is, I don't know if you know this guy, but um, Pete, I mentioned to you Pete Agalos, who is a cutting horse mm -hmm. guy out there in uh, Napomo. He and I have mm -hmm. been friends forever and ever, but uh, he is the coolest guy, just a down-to-earth rancher, cowboy. And those of us who don't live in the state of California, I don't know if you know this or not, but we have a different perception of reality, probably. <laughs> <laughs> and until you get there, you real—I mean, once you're there, you realize like this is as normal and mm -hmm. just this the heritage of ranching and farming and all the agriculture is there. Uh, I looked up a few things. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but California is like the top five cattle producing states, dairy producing. Yep. Um, and then if you add in, I don't even know what the facts are about all the fruits and nuts and all the agriculture that goes into farming side of things, but uh, it's a standalone place for sure. It is. We are the number one ag producing state in the nation. And uh, I think my, my ag friends in other states, they, they forget there's a lot more in California than just the big cities and the beach. But uh, I'm glad that your your experience of it when you came out here was, yes, there are real, real cowboys out here too out west. Real ones. I actually, when first time I went to California, I flew into Ontario. This has been 20 years ago or so. Went mm -hmm. up to uh, San Luis Obispo to meet up with Pete, and um, he took me around. And I was really expecting when I flew into California that it was just going to be uh, girls in bikinis and beach boys. Uh, <laughs> but I quickly figured out that was not the case. I got I got to spend time with him and looking at ranches and swinging by mm -hmm. the Madonna Inn and. You know, there's tons yeah. of different things out there that we don't think about when we don't live in California. So it's definitely, a, it's a neat state for sure. It is, and I, I'm awfully biased, but I think it's a special spot. Well, that's kind of what you guys did with this Backroad Cowgirls idea that we discussed is, 
and I think it's so neat that you wanted to put a spotlight on ag and um, you know really from what I gathered from the videos that are on YouTube was that you know so many people we all live uh, in the economy of agriculture but so many people don't even understand where food comes from all the time all the work all the effort that goes into preparation you guys are doing a great thing by trying to put a spotlight on that and, and is that kind of the main goal or did, did you have a different idea no um i think that was absolutely the idea you know when kai and i we came up for the idea for Backroad Cowgirls over wine and pasta, which is where all great ideas are born, over wine. And we just really had this passion for telling great stories, and we really wanted to highlight people in agriculture, both traditional and non-traditional, right? Because there's so many different facets of agriculture, and it's one of those things that food truly connects us all. Whether you're living in Los Angeles or in the heart of Manhattan in New York City, like you're eating, right? So you are directly or indirectly rather interacting with a farmer and a rancher on a daily basis. You just don't know it. Every time someone goes to the grocery store, right? They're interacting with agriculture on some level. And so we just really wanted to highlight specifically the faces behind agriculture because you can get on Google and you can find all the facts and figures and data and research that you could ever possibly want. And while we did want it to be educational, our focus was really the people because humans connect to other humans, right? You connect to stories, not necessarily data and research, which is incredibly important, but we're like, let's break this down and let's really focus on the people, the families, you know, because I think that's another misconception is, and I kind of jump in here, what is the statistic from Farm Bureau, like 90, over 90% of family or of ranches in America are family owned and operated, mm -hmm. is that right? You know, yes, and sir. And so we just really wanted to sort of um, highlight the people. Yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right, Court. And I think, you know, for us, it was really about really making that human to human connection. I think I can speak on behalf of both Courtney and I, even though we both grew up on ranches, myself here in rural California and Courtney in Kansas, and our, our careers have definitely taken us off the ranch and our involvement in agriculture looks a lot different now. But I think for both Courtney and I, we definitely amongst our close friend groups, I would say that we're kind of like the token ag people or the token cowgirls, even though we have, of course, vast networks within our industry. And I think for me growing up and, and going to school at UC Davis in Northern California, most of my close friends rule were, you know, from LA, from San Francisco, from San Diego, from these big cities. And they didn't know a farmer, they didn't grow up in agriculture. And I think I found so much joy and satisfaction in being that token person of, you know, my best friend, she is a producer for 60 minutes in New York City. And she still to this day will call me when she goes shopping for steak and she'll say, hey, Kaya, this is what I'm making tonight. What on earth kind of beef do I buy? And I just think being able to put a face with the food that we're consuming gives us this new appreciation for it. We can put a story and humanize it. I think it just makes us feel so much more connected to the food on our plate. I think what we want people to realize when they watch these stories is, sure, you might live in a city, you might never, you know, ever ride a horse, you might never experience the ag way of life in person, but if you can see yourself in the story of a ranching single mom in Utah, or a farmer veteran in North Carolina, or whoever that is, I think that what we what we really want people to understand is that we're all a lot more alike than we are different. Whether you're a farmer, uh, whether you work in finance industry on Wall Street, it's really that humanity that connects us all. Today's society, whether you like it or not, I think our, that we're pushed in so many directions to identify with what we know, you know, and, and what mm -hmm. you've done through these series of videos that I picked up on that immediately was kind of use the cliche word diversity here, but it is what it is. Mm -hmm. And you guys have put a name and a face with somebody so that we can all connect i love that i think that's a great thing especially from the ag side is we've got to make sure that everyone whether you're an ag or not relates and understands what we're going through so even if you don't side with the animal welfareist you 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 as an animal agricultural person you have to understand what their perspective is and try to make sure that we meet in the middle somewhere and i think that's something we don't do well you know as a society we I don't find that middle ground, and I think you guys did a great job of depicting that middle ground for people who view those videos, for sure. You know, that was really the goal, and, and we tried to highlight some, you know, different industries. Like, we were 
given pretty much free reign uh, on the largest feed, ra- you know, feedlot in California, which is pretty rare. You know, they don't just let people roam around those. And they said, we, you know, we have nothing to hide. Video whatever you want to video, interview whoever you want to interview. And, and that was great to see that side of it. And then, you know, the next day we were standing in a cilantro field with a Japanese American farmer who had this really beautiful story of his family coming over here, started farming in California. During the war, they were sent back to internment camps and an American family actually took care of their farmland and protected it and said, when you come back, it will be here. And it was, you know, and and even for me growing up on a ranch in Kansas, going to Oklahoma State, California was like a very foreign land to me before back road (laughs) cowgirls. And and I remember standing in the cilantro field with, with Tom Iketa and he is so wonderful and charming and you just immediately fall in love with him. But I was also watching them harvest the cilantro on their hands and knees. And I thought to myself, I am never, because I'm terrible. I buy, I live by myself, so I buy a little, a whole thing of cilantro. I use it for one dish. I throw the rest away. I'm like, never again, <laughs> because <laughs> I know now what how much work, mm-hmm. yeah, how much work and labor, you know, something as simple as cilantro that we take for granted all the time. I will never take my cilantro for granted again. It's easy to do. You walk in Walmart or wherever you grocery shop, and it's all right there for you, so neat and easy. But to think about, like you guys did, the, you highlighted a dairy, to think about what goes into that night and day process is something we should all be appreciative of for sure. So are you guys saying that you're from California and Kansas, I can relate more to the Kansas, mid I don't know if Midwestern is the right word, but Oklahoma, Kansas, kind of the same thing. What are your ties to the livestock industry in particular, Courtney? I grew up in Kansas. My grandparents run a large cow-calf operation in the Flint Hills. Um, which they're still running with my um, uncle and, and my family. And then my mom and dad have a small cow-calf operation uh, as well. And so I grew up a ranch kid, a cowgirl. I grew up showing cattle all over the country, you know, showed Angus heifers all over in the National Junior Angus Association and, and then also rodeoed. So I high school rodeoed in Kansas. I, call, I was on the college rodeo team at Oklahoma State. So my background really is animal agriculture, which I love and I'm super passionate about sharing stories in that realm but back road cowgirls was so fun because even for someone like me who was born into agriculture fourth generation being in california for two weeks with kaya i realized how little i actually know mm. about agriculture right. as a whole and you know it was just it was just so fascinating and i'm totally cheating because i have these numbers in front of me but you know when we focused on california obviously because kaya lived there we knew it was such a agriculturally rich state that we'd have plenty of stories but like you know california produces 97 percent of the processing tomatoes in you know the united states 90 percent of the nectarines and plums in the u.s are grown in california and a hundred percent you know of the u.s plums grown for prunes are grown in california nuts i mean they're like the statistics just go on, on and, and on, on and on sure. the dairy industry it's it's so amazing and so it was really fun for me coming from the animal agriculture side to be able to sort of dive into some of those more like fruits and vegetables and nuts because you know i grew up in kansas like we have corn and wheat and soybeans i mean we just didn't have the vast array of crops you know that california has. and what you're talking about you you guys did not venture that far from uh what, what do you call it central coast maybe the the san luis obispo area like you guys hit hit some home places and and still you're talking about extreme diversity and in, in types of agriculture that we're discussing yeah we started here on the central coast and we went um inland of the central valley up north as far as the sacramento napa sonoma area um down through san francisco and back to the central coast and that is just a small sliver of our state you know i think when you think about california it takes i think it's about 16 hours if you were to drive from the top of california all the way to the bottom and i think what what makes California such a um, an amazing state for this diversity of commodities that we have here is just our diversity of landscapes and our climate. Mm. We have that Mediterranean climate that just makes us uniquely set up to be able to grow most of the nation's fruits, vegetables, and nuts right here. And we have everything from you know the deserts to the mountains to the valleys to the beach to the coast coastlines of the forests. And um, there's, you know, even though I'm a California native, there's so much of our state that I have yet to discover, so much agriculture diversity that I have yet to have, um, you know, firsthand experience with. While I might have seen quite a bit of it, just because my county here locally has quite a bit of diversity in agriculture, 
you know, on our road trip through California for Backroad Cowgirls, I, I learned a lot myself, even though I grew up in this state. Here's what got us connected. I was looking at the top 30 of under 30 in Cowgirl magazine that Kai was featured in, and it had the list of young women who had won that award for this year. And um, it just happened to be Kai Twizzleman Burchett that was on that list. And I picked up on the name Twizzleman because I knew just from being in California a little bit that Twizzleman was a big ranching uh, name. And what, fifth generation, sixth generation Kai? I am the sixth generation in my family's ranch here on the Central Coast, very, very rural part of San Luis Obispo County. And my nieces are now the seventh generation. And, uh, you know, it's so funny. I love I love going. Now I, I travel the country speaking to different groups, a lot of which are ag groups. And when I tell people I'm from California, I just love to, like, sit and watch their reaction <laughs> to what they're picturing and i think if they if they came to my ranch what they they'd probably think that i'm from west texas because i grew up in a high desert country um there's a mountain range that comes through our family's ranch and i grew up an hour from the nearest grocery store gas station i drove one hour one way to go to high school like very very rural california very rich in that ranching heritage um you know my family's been ranching the same piece of land since 1884 and I hope that that continues to, to carry on for generations, but definitely grew up in that ranching aspect where we're at. We don't have, we only get about eight inches of rain a year. And so crops aren't really much of an option for us. We do some dry land barley. And my grandpa always said growing up where we're at, he said, we're not in the cattle business. He said, we're in the land business. And it just so happens that one of the best uses of this piece of land is by running cattle, but we also um, have mining businesses on the ranch for, for gravel and gypsum. We have a hunting business on the ranch. We do some agritourism because we're kind of situated right between San Francisco and Los Angeles. And so I just so appreciate having grown up with that that production, ranching background and appreciation. My family's been really heavy in the radio industry as well. I did not compete like Courtney did. Um, my dad was the mechanic of the ranch, so I grew up on motor- motorcycles more than horses, but just so appreciate that unique childhood, which I don't think I realized was so precious and unique until until I left the ranch. I think we always take that for granted. I can connect there because mm-hmm. I take it. I grew up on a, in a family that showed horses, and I, it's, it's a blessing and a curse, I've said in the past, because it's a lot of work. And as a kid, your mm-hmm. friends are all playing PlayStation and sitting in the air conditioning, and you're sweating. But as an <laughs> adult, you figure out what the life lessons are and all that, which is which is definitely a blessing. Let's jump into the episodes here in, in Back Row Cowgirls because I think I told you all um, we were emailing back and forth that my favorite episode was the Harris Ranch episode, which is great. It highlights the largest feedlot in California with roughly 135,000 head of cattle. But I've since changed my opinion. Uh, I'll have you know, I enjoyed – there was four <laughs> or five of those episodes that I've really liked. I love <laughs> – I could sit down with Daryl Twizzleman and have some yeah, conversations. Yeah. That guy is, you know, like the last remaining cowboy, old school. He reminds me of a, a one of my heroes, B.F. Yates, uh, who is just mm-hmm. no nonsense, heart of gold. That was the, that was the impression I got from watching the episode on the Twizzleman Ranch. And I mm-hmm. I tell you where he got me when he said this is the quote he says says land is a good investment, but the only problem is that it's hard to liquidate quickly, which is good for a guy like me because if I had the cash, I'd just spend it all. <laughs> so I enjoyed yeah. a, a lot of those episodes, but that was a really good one there. Well, you know, I'm I'm awfully biased, Clay, because that's my favorite episode too. You know, I hate to tell you that we lost my grandpa this last October, and. Uh, Having that conversation, having that episode to go sit down and talk to him is one of the things I cherish more than anything in this whole entire world. Um, It feels like we got to to savor a little piece of him to keep his wisdom on for years and years to come. And what's so cool is that I shared the clip of this on my Instagram. Um, And excuse me if I get choked up because he was definitely my hero. But um, in that episode, I had asked him, I said, Grandpa, you know, where do I fit? Because I think for me and Courtney, I'm going to speak for you too, Court. I think both of us, we grew up in this ag world, but our our careers and our passions have kind of taken us off the ranch. And I always, for myself, I always struggled with, okay, well, can I still call myself a rancher? Can I still call myself a cowgirl? Because I'm not really the one out there with the boots on the ground in the day-to-day anymore. And so I asked him in this interview, I said, Grandpa, where do I fit? And what he told me was, he said, your job is to romanticize the view of the old west he Mm. said your job is to keep this spirit alive to really help people appreciate what we're doing here and it just was this beautiful moment to really affirm me in what we're doing with this project 
as a whole, you know, it made me realize that there are so many ways that we can use our natural gifts and our natural talents to support and celebrate and um, elevate these stories and, and talk about our industry in that I'm actually helping my family's ranch. I'm helping continue the legacy of this ranching industry by traveling the world and speaking to these groups, by, you know, traveling to these different places in, in agriculture and telling these stories and, and packaging them in a way through social media. That doesn't take away from my validity in this industry. It's actually the way that I can use my unique gifts to continue my family's legacy in my own unique way. And that just was such a special message for me to hear in that episode and it was such a gift to be able to share my grandpa with the world in that way too well i did not know that and i hate to hear that that happened but i'm i'm kind of it's kind of neat that i brought that up because it, mm-hmm. that was the impression that i got with from him was just heart of gold john wayne kind of guy you know and mm-hmm. absolutely the, the real deal not just the wild west videos but the the real deal and so i hate to hear that for you and your family but what a special thing you've got that video to always go back to and think about and and uh, i remember that part in there where you asked him that and it was a really sincere Mm -hmm. moment so those are the kind of things i think people want to see right it makes everyone real and i I love that so glad that you have that tell you another episode i really liked Uh, going along with that same kind of thing was the ryan at ryan ranch episode i think the the owner's name is noel is that right no yeah no Mm -hmm. yeah when he talked about he his voice cracked as he was talking yeah. about his family in the ranch and picked out these little excerpts and so people listening to this you'll want to go hear this he said quote this isn't my ranch it's my dad's ranch he gave it to me and i'm going to give it to my kids and grandkids into the quote and when he said that he, he barely could spit it out and so I, I love that family connection that you guys are bringing to making these people come to life so to speak yeah that was that was a really special one it was one of the first ones we shot um at, you know, because we kind of did this for for two weeks straight, and they were just such a special family to sit down with. And I think one thing that people don't necessarily, you know, realize if you didn't grow up in the ranching or agriculture community, it is a family operation, and it often is multi generational, right? You know, like I think of my grandma and grandpa, my 85 year old Pappy, who is ranching alongside my uncle. And now my cousin has come back to the ranch and she's ranching alongside, you know, her dad and her grandfather. And I think um, that that was just a really special, vulnerable Mm. moment. And that's real. Like, that's what we wanted to show. We wanted to show the realness, the humanness. Like, yes, we could have gone to those ranches and talked you know environmental policies and talked about all the hardships that ranchers and agriculture in general faces in a state like california which we did touch on those challenges but what we really wanted people to see was just that you know the cracks in the mold right so Mm. to speak like when his voice cracked that was representative of what it's like to be tasked with keeping something that your father or your grandfather or your great-grandfather started and it agriculture is something that runs very very deep for those of us you know that are in it it is truly as cliche as it sounds it is a passion because it is a hard there are far easier ways to make way more money than being in agriculture those people do it because it means something to them and i think that's something that's kind of lost a little bit in this country at least i don't want to speak for the rest of the world but i think we have sort of lost that while you know culturally that doing something that you really really are passionate about something that you really love something that makes a difference in the world right like i always say feeding people is one of the most honorable jobs that you could ever have and so i think that they were just such a beautiful example of a family that works side by side you know they're side by side during the highs they're side by side you know during the lows i loved when she talked about you know how she to save money used to sew his work Mm, shirts you know they, they couldn't they couldn't afford to go and buy work shirts so she would sew them for him and i think that that is just so quintessential of agriculture you know they're just really good honest hard-working people who have a passion for land and animals and the family spotlighted to me that that's the key thing that we're missing a lot of sometimes is 
the depth of what it means when you have family around you like they did. They, they mentioned in that episode, too, about 2020 was kind of the, the – it wasn't a big deal for them because they enjoyed just – they all hung out at the ranch and worked together, and their grandkid was there, and their daughter was there, and I thought that was a neat highlight, too, for that. Puts into perspective what's really important. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, and I like the, the spotlight put on Megan. It was, it was last time all good, I believe, and, and her husband mm-hmm. and how they're all tied into that. So, And the other thing, too, is like you think about what you just said about uh, there's a lot easier ways to make a lot more money, which is true. Mm-hmm. But there's something about you talk about we talked about the Harris Ranch, Twizzleman Ranch and um, some of these other episodes. These guys are just just being horseback. Mm-hmm. is where their happy place is you know so it's not all it's not all about the money it's about the way of life and people are starving for that otherwise yellowstone the movie or tv show series wouldn't be quite as popular as it is mm-hmm. but he's fighting yeah. the same fight isn't he like trying to keep the ranch mm-hmm. yeah exactly it's so interesting you know you bring up the uh, popularity of yellowstone and i don't know if this is on everybody's feed maybe it's just the algorithm serving this content to me on on instagram but i also feel like i see this resurgence of people in in my generation um people who didn't even grow up on a farm or a ranch who are all of a sudden wanting to move out of the cities and become homesteaders like i think that there is this craving this yearning that i see across society to reconnect with your roots to reconnect with the soil to reconnect with something that means more than just the numbers and in a bank account and i think that's what's so special about agriculture is i think um there's lots of ways to be rich my grandpa he was rich in a lot of ways he was rich in wisdom he was rich in experience he was rich in that love of what he did in that land and i think that there's no amount of money value you can put on that no definitely not i think you guys are on the right track too with highlighting ag y'all do it in a really fun and energetic way the scenery the you know how you guys put the videos together is interesting and you know you think about it like the most popular shows right now are what you're talking about yellowstone I personally like uh, was it 1883 and 1925 or 23 or whatever the prequels are to Yellowstone. I like those even more. But even the Last Cowboy, I don't know if you're familiar with that show, that kind of sp- puts a spotlight on the modern day horse trainer side of things. I mean, there's so many things people are in love with PBR. There, there is a need, a desire for that people want. They want that. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the so-called like Yellowstone effect really has been, I think, beneficial for agriculture and horse industry and just, you know, all the things that we're doing. And I think it's super cool, you know, that Taylor Sheridan, you know, rides cutting horses, rides reiners, has a ranch now in Weatherford. Um, I live in Dallas, so, like, I feel like we're sort of neighbors. That's what I tell myself. Uh, But I think that it's really cool. You know, obviously, Yellowstone is a TV show, and there are, of course, are things that, you know, the ranchers are like, oh, we would, that would never happen. Like, we would never do it this way, or, you know, that's a heifer, not a bull, whatever. But I think overall, in the grand scheme of things, it sort of has recreated this sort of, like, urgency to be connected to the cowboy lifestyle in some way i really personally think that cowboy has always been cool Mm -hmm. but yellowstone has definitely sort of had a effect especially on you know mainstream cultures and it's just it's so fun i love you know getting on social media and just seeing something new you know ralph lauren just did his new york fashion week show and while ralph lauren has always had sort of those western roots and vibes and whatever it was just so fun to see these like famous supermodels walking down the runway with belt buckles on you know and cowboy hats and i was like you go ralph like this is just i have always been a huge proponent of this kind of stuff and part of my platform is look i don't care if you wear a cowboy hat and you're like Kaya and I, your fourth, seventh, whatever generation, you can ride a horse, you know how to ranch, you know how to work cattle. Or I don't care if you went to Cavender's, bought the first hat you saw, put it on backwards and came to your first rodeo. Both have a role, mm-hmm. right, in this space. Like we need people to watch shows like Yellowstone and go, holy cow, that is so cool. Taylor Sheridan put a cutter in episode number four well, I live in Fort Worth. That's where the National Cutting Horse is. I'm going to go to one of those cuttings. You know, like that 
it's starting conversations and it's piquing people's interest. And there's, you know, Western fashion is taking over. And, and I, I personally love that. Now, I'm going to be fully honest and fully transparent. I have been the high school rodeo kid, right? That would like roll their eyes if somebody came to a rodeo with their hat on backwards. But as I've gotten older and as I moved away from agriculture to pursue a television and career, you know, in a career in TV in the biggest cities in America, it gave me a whole new perspective. We need all kinds of kinds. It's okay if you don't have all the answers. It's okay if you don't know how to wear your cowboy boots or whatever. We just simply need to be welcoming people like that in. And that was kind of our hope with Backroad Cowgirls is that we could allow people from all walks of life to see little pieces of their own story in these agriculture stories. And so I think that it's just, it's always good to, to sort of go at it with that. Well, we see a lot of that. I'm probably, probably in all sectors of the livestock industry, but mine's horses. And so growing up in that horse show environment and, um, been it my whole life i've seen it over and over and over new people come in and uh you know i'm like you i'm completely honest i've made a lot of mistakes but i'm i'm sitting back there going look at these guys you know they pants are too short or their hat like you said their hats on back whatever it may be instead of taking that loop we should probably come at it as these are entry people into our what we're doing they're the ones that are making this role making it work let's surround them and encourage them and get them involved and help them where they're lacking and show them the tools of the trade in order to get them ready to show it at a at an advanced level instead of mm-hmm. yeah look at these guys you know I think yeah and i think you know i heard a, a cutting horse trainer one time he was talking to a group of kids and i happened to be in the room and i was eating it up i loved it he he said to them he goes every time you walk into the pen you walk into the arena you know what no matter what discipline you're doing he said every mistake that you make in that pen I have also made that mm. pin. And this is a guy who's won $10 million, sure. right? right? And like, I just thought, and so I thought, man, what a, what a great thing to tell these kids. But then I sort of reframed it and I thought, you know what? Like the next time I go to a horse show or I go to a rodeo, and to your point, like instead of rolling my eyes because their pants are too short, they, you know, can't even get on their horse, whatever. I'm going to look at them and think that is, incredibly courageous Mm -hmm. because it is so hard to show up in a space like that where you are a little bit of a foreigner right but like he said he goes every stupid thing that's going to happen in the practice pen that's going to happen in the arena he's like i guarantee you i've done it you guys and this is you know one of the famous cutting horse trainers and i just thought that was such a beautiful i was like man that's so true like there might have been a day that his pants were too short you know because he wasn't born into the industry i mean and this is a guy who wasn't necessarily born into the industry and so i just thought it was such a like cool analogy and so i try to take that that into agriculture as a whole right like first generation i applaud those people because it's a hard lifestyle to step into and i think those like first generation farmers ranchers that's incredibly courageous yeah i i applaud them that's funny you say that too because i I taught a class at texas a i was on faculty there for almost 12 years and I used to ask, I had this class every semester, I had 150 kids in it, and about half of the class was ag majors, other half was not. And I would ask them, how many of you are first-generation horsemen? And, you know, they're out of 150, there would probably be 15, 20 that would raise their hand. And I think they thought in the beginning, the way I phrased that question, I was going to come at them a little bit in a different tone, but my response was always, you guys deserve an applause because that's a hard mm-hmm. market to step into. So mm-hmm. keep going. It's just, and and that is actually going to bring me to another question I have for you, just a little bit about failure that that you pointed out, um, Courtney, on one of your blogs that I thought was a good perspective. But we've got to encourage people if we want to keep our ag sector big and healthy. We've got to we've got to encourage people because there's a lot of new entrants into it. Yeah, for sure. And spotlighting all these people's lives. What, what are things like? We're talking about things that they. Uh, are doing and and how they're running their businesses but as you guys filmed this and saw it and talked to them and interacted with them what are some things that you felt were influential or important that you learned through that endeavor oh my gosh we learned so many things you know what i think is so interesting when we talk about the stories we've already filmed and you know ones we're, we're looking forward to filming in the future i think what what really fascinates me the most about these stories is i always love to hear the transformation because the truth is is that life is 
hard. It's challenging. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's heartbreaking. It's all the things all at once. And and those of us in agriculture know that oof, it's a tough industry. We are at the will of markets. We're at the will of weather. We're at the will of so many different things. And I think I actually feel like we learn the most and I feel like there's more points of connection when we hear about the hardships that folks have overcome and gone through because that's where I can re- I really think that we can learn and unpack the resiliency within people and how those hard seasons are the things that really um, teach us our greatest lessons that allow for our greatest growth. You know, one of my keynotes Clay, I have this watercolor illustration that I, I drew and it's a it's a cow and behind the cow there is this cow patty. And growing through the cow patty of these two these two daisies. And really it's a metaphor for the hard things that life hands at us. It's like the crap that life throws our way, right? When we're in the thick of the hard stuff, it just stinks. But what we all know in agriculture is that a cow patty manure is not just a, a pile of poop. Excuse me for talking about poop on your podcast, but <laughs> I, I am who I am. It's okay? agriculture, right? And, Exactly. But we, we know in agriculture that it's more than just that. We know that it's the the world's greatest fertilizer. And through the crap that life throws at us, that is where we find our greatest strength. That's where we find our resiliency. That's where we really find the things that nourish us for our greatest growth on the other side of it. And I think what was so fascinating to me hearing all these stories, the through line through all of it, whether we were talking to Tom Iketa about, you know, his family being sent to internment camps or chatting with my friend Jamie, who was born death and how she navigated um, being a, a lip reading person at farmers markets when it, in a global mm. pandemic when everyone's wearing masks. I really think the most fascinating thing through for me through all these stories was hearing about the really hard things that these folks have walked through and what it was that got them through the other side and how they were able to look back at those hardships with gratitude in a way with this perspective of appreciation for the lessons that it taught them through it. Um, and the pride they felt on getting to the other side of it. And I think that that's something that anyone watching these lessons is going to resonate with. Life is hard for all of us. I don't care what, where you come from, um, what color your skin is, what industry you work in. Life is challenging. And I think through each of these transformations, we can all learn about this, this resiliency. And I think that that was a big through line that came up for me. I would say for me personally, you know, I agree with everything Kaya said. And I think just to add to that, For me, there was just such a sense of hope in all of the stories because the agriculture industry is constantly sort of facing challenges, under attack, however you want to verbalize it, right? We are facing immense challenges, um, whether it's Mother Nature, whether it's the government, whoever it may be, you know, state governments and just changing you know changes culturally like when you're in it when you work in that industry and when you're you're surrounded by it like the three of us are right we we hear that all the time the challenges we're facing the the costs of everything are rising you know farmers and ranchers are making less money than they've ever made and their input costs are five six seven ten times higher than they used to be but then you sit down with these people and 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 kaya did the interviews and i just sat quietly behind the camera And it just gave me such a sense of hope because when you hear these people's stories, you immediately realize that despite all of the challenges that we are facing, the agriculture industry is going to be just fine because agriculture people are just built different. They're tough. They, yeah, they're tough. They have very special and unique perspectives and you know it's whatever the new challenge is right like they will figure it out and they will continue to feed the world like i remember you know during covid um i actually went back to the ranch and i spent a month um just riding pastures with my grandpa and and i stayed at my grandma and grandma's and it was just it was such a special time and i was so thankful to be able to have that time with with them. And it was such a weird and scary, I mean, for everybody. And the agriculture industry was in full panic. You know, everybody's freaking out about everything. And and I remember one day we were riding horses or something, like riding through checking pastures. And I looked over at Poppy and I said, whew, this is bad. You know, this is bad. Like COVID is really, I don't know. What do you think, Poppy? Like, this is scary. (laughs) He looked over at me. I don't even know if I'm gonna get the president right. And he goes, ah, this is nothing. 
if we could survive Truman, I think it was Truman. I don't know who it was. If we could survive, you know, this president, we're going to be just fine. And he just wrote off. Like, and I thought to myself, that's the difference sort of age is wisdom, right? And perspective. And, and so I just think agriculture people just have this really incredible resiliency about them. And it just sitting down and telling these stories, it just gave me a lot of hope that like, yes, we're facing a lot of challenges and, and yes, it's a tough industry, but these people are even tougher. You heard the Jocko Willink two-minute little clip about, I think it's, it's entitled Good on uh, YouTube. Mm. It, and it's him. He's a former Navy SEAL, tough guy, you know, and he's talking about how when he was faced with adversity, whether in personal life or when he was leading a SEAL platoon or whatever, they would say, you know, this is this is what's happening currently, and it's, not, it's, it's going badly. And his response was always, good. And it was because mm-hmm. it, it trained him to think, okay, I got to get my, I got to get out of this. It's not, I'm not going to mm-hmm. succumb to it or falter to it. I'm instead going to figure out a way. And I think that, talking about Daryl Twizzleman, you know, those those guys that they've seen it all, done it all, like you said, and your and your mm-hmm. grandpa, grandpa too, is like COVID. What's the, what's the big deal? You know, we're, right. we're going to move along. Right. We're going to make mm-hmm. it in some capacity. Which brings me to my next thing. You guys, I I've looked at all your stuff. I think. And I love the positivity. It's always about positivity. And you highlight, like, um, you guys are highlighting women, especially in agriculture, just empowering women in, in certain aspects of their own lives. And you found this niche, which I think is really good. The podcast, Climbing with Kai, is extremely positive. Fancy Lady Cowgirl, your motivational speaking engagements, TV host, the list goes on and on. But in all of this, you are positive, and you see the light in most everything that I've that I've experienced that you guys do. So, how do you find the mindset and the energy to be so encouraging to others on a daily basis, a routine basis? Mm, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'll go. I'll go first. You know, Kaya is incredibly gr- good at that. You know, when we started Back Row Cowgirls, we had been friends uh, for I don't know a couple of years, I guess, or a few years, and you know, but it's just different when you are on the road with someone for two weeks i'm sleeping on her couch like we're sharing beds in hotels like we were together for two full weeks and i remember just coming home and thinking wow no matter what was happening and we had all kinds of disasters like our our van broke down (laughs) on the freeway i mean cameras are falling apart like it was not necessarily a smooth but kaya is truly one of the most joyous people i've ever met and that is her in real life you know that is just naturally she is such a joyful person and so I think it helps to be surrounded by someone like Kaya for me personally like to be joyful and joyous and and I think you know for me I left Oklahoma State pursued a career in television for a decade and so for over 10 years I was working for networks you know from network to network station to station and I loved telling stories I love television. I mean, I'm a, my passion truly is sharing stories, but I hated that corporate sort of the mentality surrounding television and media. I just, I didn't love it. And it was a grind and it was grueling. And I was not surrounded by people who were raised with the same morals and values that I was. And that made it very hard. And so I think For me, partially, I think to myself, okay, I am traveling the country. I'm getting to tell great stories. I'm hanging out with people in agriculture, right? I'm still doing television, but instead of covering murders, I now get to stand at the NCHA fraternity, or I get to go to the American Performance Horseman, or the the American Rodeo inside AT&T Stadium. I get to be in Madison Square Garden with the PDR. And I think I am just so thankful right? Like perspective that I don't have to get up at 2 a.m. every morning, right? And go back to that sort of television career that was just such a grind. So even, you know, if I'm standing at a at a big rodeo or something about to go on air and our IFB's not working and the microphones are crashing and the cameraman, nobody can find him and they're counting us down and it's a disaster and it's a mess. And I'm just, my only thought is, who cares? I am standing in an arena surrounded by the best cowboys and cowgirls in the world this is cool i have a cowboy hat on i'm about to tell some really great stories and the same with background cowgirls and so i think for me just changing my own perspective to be joyful and thankful and you know as life it does the older you get 
the more you start to realize how precious and how short life is, right? For sure. And so I'm just always sort of in that mindset of I'm thankful. I'm thankful for this opportunity. I'm thankful for this opportunity. Um, I'm going to just be in the moment. And during my television career, you know, something I really yearned for were female mentors. Just any, anybody, any woman in the television industry to just sort of be like, hey, you're doing a good job. You, you are talented. You're telling great stories. Keep going. And it just never came. It's just not the nature of that business, right? Because it's so competitive. And so I always thought, if I ever get out, if I ever survive this, right, I want to be a mentor for other women. Like, I want to empower and support other women because I know how damn hard it is to just do what we do. And so it's just been really, uh, it's just been such a gift for me to be able to serve. You know, there's just, I get so much out of serving other women and, and empowering them. And I think, uh, yeah, so that's kind of my story. I think you've done it. I, I was actually looking at your pictures a couple weeks ago and you might think this is crazy, but I could tell, I could tell by your hat what, what kind of hat you wear. You wear a shorty's hat. And uh, <laughs> yeah. so I called Bobby and and we were chatting and I said, hey, do you know this this young lady, Courtney <laughs> D. Hawks? Oh, yeah, I know Courtney. But her and Shorty were on their way to the Congress. And, um, yeah, they were impressed with you, too. And we talked about a lot of what you do for, you know, uh, they've been involved in. So I, I think you've got that message across. Kai, you do the same thing. Like, I've listened to your – I listen to podcasts when I'm lifting in the gym. I don't listen to music. Mm-hmm. I listen to podcasts. So I started listening to your podcast, and I think I mentioned this to you when we talked. I love the, the, that you highlight positive thinking, changing your perspective on the way you that that drives so much of our emotion, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, we can either choose Absolutely. we can choose to look at the positive in a bad situation, or we can choose to focus on the negative. And either way, it's going to dictate how our day goes, or week, or month, or year, or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, kind of speaking to what Courtney said earlier, um, I am an optimist, perhaps to a fault, if that's possible. <laughs> um, I'm the one who's like, everything's going to work out. And Courtney, thank goodness, is like the realist that keeps us grounded. It was like, yes, Kaya, but we need to actually make sure that these things are, are going to work out. So I think we're a pretty good little dynamic duo pair there. But um, yeah, to your point, Clay, you know, what I've discovered is that I think so many of us believe, uh, fall into the, the lie, really, that our circumstances are the things that dictate our mood and how we feel about the world, our happiness and our joy, whether our circumstances are, you know, on my podcast, I share a lot about my own journey with body image and self-love. And that's, that's a struggle that I know many women and men struggle with. So whether your circumstances, what your body looks like, uh, what horse you have, how much money you have in the bank, where you live, whatever it is. I think so many of us think that our joy, happiness, fulfillment, contentment comes from the things that exist outside of us. And what I've come to discover and understand about the world is that the way that we feel is is all about the way that we think. It's all about our mindset. And so, you know, I like to say that things grow where energy flows. And I think that too often we give our energy to the negativity and we do have this negativity bias just psychologically. It's how we are built as humans. But I think when we have more of that awareness around our thoughts and our mindset and where we're spending our our mental energy and really focusing on our mental health, I think that that is um, really the game changer. Because like I mentioned earlier, life is hard. Things don't always go the way you want them to. It's heartbreaking. It's unexpected. Nothing's certain. And how can you foster a mindset that helps you navigate a world like that, where you can still find joy and beauty and gratitude and hope and peace within it all? It's really all about the mindset piece. So I'm so passionate about being able to share that message through things like my podcast, to be able to speak on stages all across the country and the world, really empowering women um, to foster that stronger mindset for themselves and also to be able to bring up that mindset mental piece as well throughout the stories that we, we touch on in Backroad Cowgirls too. And I think, you know, for me personally, I'm so encouraged and excited to hear that there's more of a mental health conversation being had in the spaces of agriculture now, um, because I think that that's something that we as an industry have, we're, we're behind on, you know, just, it's a heartbreaking statistic, but uh, in terms of industries, agriculture is the number one industry for suicide rates. And, you know, when I think about how I was raised, I love my family. I'm so, so proud of coming from a really strong family. You have to be strong and resilient in agriculture. But I think sometimes somewhere along the way, we were mistaking that strength meant um, 
never being vulnerable with ourselves and with other people, never talking about the things that we struggled with. And I actually think that there's so much strength that comes from that vulnerability. And so just personally as a speaker and, and even in the stories we're sharing, these transformation stories, I really want to be able to bring more of those vulnerable conversations to the forefront so that people realize that in your hardships, you are not alone. You don't have to carry those by yourself. And life can continue to show up the way that it always had. It's going to continue to deal you an unfair hand. Perhaps it's going to continue to come your way. And how can we navigate that while still making space for joy, gratitude, contentment, and all the goodness that exists in the world still? Well, here's an example of what we're talking about, just one of the many. Uh, I read a blog entitled from Courtney called Failure Just Means You Dared to Show Up. Here's a quick excerpt from what I took from it. It says, we've all experienced the fear of failure, the fear of looking silly, the fear of what people will think, the fear of not being good enough. Failure is a common part of life, but that doesn't make it any easier to put yourself out there. What if you reframe your perspective on failure? What if you see failure as a courageous victory, an indication that you had the audacity to show up and even take a chance? Then it goes on to say, Failure is the mark of courage. Embrace it, learn from it, and keep riding towards your legendary life. Unquote. What a great life lesson that mm. is, right? What made you think? Yeah. What made you think to write about failure? We don't even want to talk about failure, do we? Yeah, you know, failure is such an interesting um, topic because we nobody wants failure, right? You, we avoid it. Uh, you don't want to fail. It's embarrassing or even worse. What will people think if I fail? And I look back at my sort of career, whether it's rodeo or television or my keynoting. And oftentimes some of the greatest failures led to the most incredible experiences in my life. And the way I look at it, the way I have reframed failure in my own mind is the people that are failing are the people that are showing up, right? They are the people that are brave enough to at least put their hat in the ring, so to speak, you know? And I think that that's just so honorable and it's so attractive to me. Like I love people who are willing to go for it, to follow their dreams, to try new things out. You know, I did not, learned to rope until I was in college at Oklahoma State. So I ran barrels, I tied goats, I did all of the things in high school, but I never roped. I didn't come from a roping family. It just wasn't on our radar. And when I went to OSU, I decided I wanted to be a breakaway roper, which is great, except at this point in college rodeo, you know, the girls are about 20 years ahead of me. And so I learned to rope, you know, I roped the bale, I did all the things, I didn't have a horse, so I would borrow horses from anyone that would let me borrow a horse. And oftentimes they were like practice horses or like backup horses. And most of the time there were issues, right? They're like, here, let's let Courtney borrow this horse. And every single horse that I borrowed as I learned to rope had issues, whether they were like wouldn't stand in the box, whatever it would be. And so I would just spend hours scoring, you know, sitting in the box, scoring over and over. All I wanted to do was rope. And instead, I'm just sitting there trying to fix this horse that someone has, has lent me. But I look back and I think, oh, my gosh, it was all of those horses that were failures, all of the times I missed, all of the things that happened in the practice pen all those failures that made me a great roper, right? Those were the lessons that I had to have to eventually be successful some someday. And, and the other way that I sort of became a decent roper, every time I rode into the box, I told myself, I have nothing to prove. Like if I go out and fail, that's pretty cool because at least I dared to show up even though I'm 20 years behind, right? Even though my hauling partner is Kelsey Chase, Kelsey Domer now, you know, a, I don't know, 10 time world champion. I may look stupid, but like at least I had the courage to get in the trailer with her. Mm -hmm. And so I just have sort of in my life, I'm like redefining failure in that way and you know sort of my net dream is to someday have a cutting horse and be able to go to like Boski and these places that I live by in Texas and show 
at these shows and and there's this part of me that's like oh my gosh well i have very good taste in horses and i can't afford any of the horses i want and you know so oh my gosh like i guess i'll just give up like no no no. like i'm gonna go out and find a horse that i can afford that's a great starter horse that i can learn you know to walk into the herd and pop a cow out a horse that will take care of me but a horse i still have to sort of ride and even if i fail right just like that cutting horse trainer told those kids everything that's going to happen every failure that's going to happen somebody else has already done so you know why would i take it personally because i'm not the first one that's failed and i just i don't know it's it's just been sort of a trend with me i fit into the box i did all the things i was supposed to do i did what i was told in the world of network television and i had a successful career you know i was working at the network level before the age of 30 which is really cool on paper but i was a miserable human being my soul was completely crushed every day i was just playing it safe and when i finally decided to leave and i was like i'm going to be an independent contractor i'm going to take the tv jobs i want to take i'm going to try to make a career on my own that was a really great idea and i had to walk dogs for the first year to be able to pay my rent in Dallas because nobody was hiring to do TV jobs, you know? And so I remember walking those dogs thinking to myself, this would be so embarrassing if someone who used to watch me on national television drives by and recognizes me and I'm out clearly being a dog walker. But then I reframed it and I was like, you know what? No, because this is a season, right? I'm not going to let my success or failure be determined in one season. I'm going to do what I need to do to pay my rent and I'm gonna know that this is temporary and something something great is coming 90 percent of the battle showing up to something new you know mm-hmm. it is for sure have you uh clay have you heard that theodore roosevelt quote about the man in the arena not ringing a bell do you mind if i read it to no. you because it just it just i think will really resonate with your audience and you just bet. piggyback so well on what courtney just said um, i first heard this while i was reading Brene brown's book and i'm a huge Brene brown fan for anybody that hasn't read any of her books i highly recommend them she also has a netflix special but this is this is the theodore roosevelt quote it's he says it is not the critic who counts not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Uh, so good absolutely it, it reminds me this, I'll tell this really quickly because we're going to wrap up here in just a second but y'all probably I don't know if you know who Horse Gracie is he won the ultimate fighting championship UFC won back I don't know late 90s probably I loved the whole thing it got me pumped I was about 23 at the time <laughs> and I thought man I want to do this you know long story short Six years ago, so fast forward about 20 years, I finally got the courage to go into a Brazilian jiu-jitsu studio. And I walked out. So cool. I walked out. I, like, I can't do this. And then I was like, mm-hmm. no, get back in there. Let's do this. <laughs> you know, and it's awkward. It's weird. It's frustrating. But I, six years in now, absolutely love it. I have no professional aspirations, but it's a personal battle with me. Like, I got to go in there with 20, 20-year-old guys and hang out you know and try to compete or or find my mental focus on where that competition lies and that's such a great lesson from horse show aspect from tv what whatever your endeavor is getting over that hurdle of that mental blockade and jumping in is 90 percent of the battle and then you figure out what you know i like it or you accomplish this one thing and move on to something else but yeah yeah that's that's so good and that's totally what we did with background cowgirls we had wine had pasta came up with this grand plan we're like here's what we're going to do here's how we're going to do it we have no money no funding all right let's tell kaya's husband right because like we're, we, we decided <laughs> we should run this by brent because we're like going to go shoot a tv show and then and kaya kaya you tell the story because you were actually there you know i was i was nervous about it because i am the uh hope 
hopeful optimist and big dreamer in our relationship. And my husband, he is the realist that keeps me grounded. And so I was terrified to tell him. I get back from this layover. Courtney and I have this grand idea. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to sleep on it. I'm going to tell him in the morning. And so I wake up the next morning. I say, Brent, we have this idea. And I pitch him the idea. And he pauses and he looks at me. And the first thing he says is, huh, there's worse things on TV. (laughs) 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 And that was his reaction. And for me, I'm like, okay, that is a raving review. That means we can totally move forward with this. And I love that. And I think think something to keep in mind, too, in, in the theme of failure is that there are worse things on TV out there, okay? And there are people out there that are doing the thing that you want to do and maybe not doing it even as well as you could do it just because they had the audacity to show up and, and do it. And so I think for Courtney and I, that's kind of what it was of like, what's the worst thing that can happen? We have a great time meeting new people in agriculture yeah. and telling stories. Like this is really a win-win situation. And, and when we came up with the idea, we still have the Google doc, the original Google doc, it's a mess. It's like 30,000 pages long now, but at the very top, we, we gave ourselves rules. And the number one rule was, we are only going to do this and continue doing this if it feels fun. And every step of the way, it has felt like such a blast. And the best part, you know, he says, there are worse things on TV, which we're like, okay, we'll take that. We're going to take that as a win. That actually became our slogan. It was on mm-hmm. the back of our van. Like there are worse things on TV, but Kaya sort of pitched all of this to Brent. And I don't know what month this was. Let's say like January, February, maybe. And she's like, yeah, and we're thinking May. And Brent was like, oh yes. Like this will be wonderful. You have a full year to like plan it. And then next May. And we're like, no, 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 no. Like this May, like this upcoming, like like in two months, we're going to do this. And mm-hmm. like, we just, we did it. We just figured it out and we went for it. And it has been so rewarding and we're just getting started. Something huge is in the works. And you know, we just had the courage to do it. And we're like, if we fail, we're going to we're going to have fun while we're doing it. You know? mm-hmm. Well, I actually saw the picture of the van, and now the now it all makes sense. I saw the <laughs> quote on the side, and I thought, okay, I wonder where that came from. But now I got it. So that kind of leads us to what is the what is the future of the whole back, back row cowgirls idea? Yeah, Kaya, I, I never know how much we're allowed to talk about yeah. what we're what we're what we're not allowed to talk about. Um, well, we can say this: we were on the road sort of shooting and this is just like another beautiful like lesson and you know we did a little little crowdfunding to raise enough money to like put gas in the van and buy some extra batteries for the camera and and that sort of thing and we received an email while we were on the road I hadn't even edited any of the pieces yet I mean I was very deep in it I didn't have time to answer an email and I think they emailed us Kaya maybe a couple of times and I was like, I don't have time for this. And Kaya blessed her, was like, oh, answer it and, and responded. And it was this group and, and they're like, we want to be involved. We want to be involved. And we sort of came back and we're like, well, you know, we've shot it. What is our dream? And we're like, we want to shoot an actual pilot with a production company. And then we want to sell this thing to Netflix or HBO or, you know, one of the streamers. So what is the next step? And we sort of pitched what that would look like to Simplot. And Simplot Grower Solutions said, all right, let's do it. We believe in women. We love agriculture. We want to be behind this. And so thanks to the Simplot Grower Solutions, we are taking the next step, Kaya. We're doing it. We are we are so excited and you know as of right now we can't tell you where that's going to land we don't have any big tv deals yet but for courtney and i what our goal is is to really elevate these stories of inspiring people in agriculture and while we love the tv stations like rftv cowboy channel cowgirl channel well those are really really incredible our vision for this is really to be able to bring these stories to mainstream culture in in a more accessible way we want to be on a on a network where they're watching their other shows and we want to be where just the the mainstream folks typically are and so that's our hope um who knows clay maybe next year when we can do another podcast episode about you know our big break uh we're not sure yet but um we're just really excited that this is still moving forward and we're still having a lot of fun doing it well, I'm about in the same place as the people listening. I, I don't know any more than they do, but from what I've watched, I think you guys got a 
super bright future. And I'll definitely lead, leave all the links to backroadcowgirls.com um, and everybody's information in the description. So anybody that's listening wants to listen to podcast or, or check out anything that we've talked about, they'll be able to do that. But here's something that wraps it all up. I'm going to tell you quickly that I had a ton of fear in this whole endeavor. I am I am not a podcaster. I am not a public speaker other than teaching students for the past 20 plus years. But I wanted to do something new and different and jump in and, and figure it out. And that's what I did with this podcast idea. And it's starting to grow a little bit, which is exciting. I'm having a ton of fun with it. Um, but here's the thing. Th- this this tells everyone the kind of people you are is that you just accepted me. You just took me in and you said, you know, you're way ahead of me in this whole game. And, and um you just took me in to let me be a part of it and be a part of what I'm doing. I'm extremely appreciative of that because you didn't have to, and you definitely you took an hour plus out of your time to, to talk to me, and you definitely didn't have to. But I'm grateful and thankful that uh, I got the chance to meet you guys, tell a little bit about your story, and um, highlight some of these people in the process. So. I appreciate you very much. Well, thank you so much for having us play. We so appreciate it. We're excited to continue following along with the podcast and hear what other stories you have to share. I'm going to keep trying. You're killing it. You're (laughs) killing it, Clay. I have been on a lot of podcasts in my day, and I will tell you this, and I'm not BSing you. I think you did more research and preparation than Mm -hmm. maybe any podcast I've ever been on, and that just means so much to both Kaya and I each time. I'm like, oh my God, he wrote my blog. Oh my God, he watched background. <laughs> so we appreciate you. I mean, thank you for taking the time to really learn a little bit about our stories and you asked great questions. I think you have a podcasting future for as long as you want it. <laughs> well, I, I hope so. Like you, I think one of you said a little while ago, as long as you're having fun, uh, that's what you mean. Mm-hmm. And I never thought I would have this much fun doing it, but our business and what we do is driven not by what you know it's cliche but it's true mm-hmm. it's who you know and the more connection you can make with people the greater insight you have the greater connection to other markets ideas whatever it may be that's all positive so Absolutely. I'm, I'm having a good time with it thank you very much for your time and, and i'll keep everybody hopefully we'll just keep up to date and you can tell me the next phase of the story as it progresses yeah we love good thanks clay thank you Thank you for joining us on Taking the Reins. A special thank you goes to the Mississippi State Extension Service and the MSU Animal and Dairy Sciences Department. Please visit us on Facebook and Instagram at Taking the Reins Podcast.